0: Welcome to the American Institute of Stress's official podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to highlight new information about stress and stress management techniques. While we understand that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment.
1: Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Finding Contentment, the official podcast of the American Institute of Stress. I'm your host and the executive director. It's Will Heckman. I want to thank you all for joining us once again today. I also want to remind everybody to uh, go to stress.org and remember to subscribe to our magazines. Both spring editions have come out, Combat Stress and Contentment. They're absolutely, re- really astounding editions this uh, this this quarter. Uh, we do four a year. They're absolutely free. All you have to do is go up to stress.org and sign up. And you can subscribe to them. It's free. And speaking of subscribing, yeah, I'm going to ask you to subscribe to this channel. People get a lot out of this channel. We'd like your support. You can show your support by just hitting that like button down there, hitting the subscribe button. Every time I get a new subscriber, I get less stress. Just saying. Thanks a lot. Today we have a very special guest. Joining us today is Dr. Daniel Andrea. All right, I'm going to read this because his biography is long, and this guy has done a lot of stuff, and it's important for you to know. He has over 20 years of professional experience in the education sector. Uh, he's established himself as a highly distinguished and esteemed expert in several areas, health, neuroscience, psychology, advocacy, and community organization. He's committed a considerable part of his career to studying and supporting and advocating for those with brain issues especially Alzheimer's, serving as an insightful and dynamic leader. And that's something that affects all our lives. He has been recognized by the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto with a Lifetime Achievement Award, Outstanding Service Award for Leadership, an award presented by the chair of the International Alzheimer's Society by Princess Yasmin Khan, and later a Pioneer Award. He was the first executive director of the Society and chair of the Patrons Council. Dr. Andrea began his educational journey at York University in Toronto, where he earned his bachelor's deg- degree in psychology. And he followed that up. and He went to attain his master's in clinical social work from Wilfrid Laurier University. And he's a strong believer in lifetime learning. So he also holds a certificate in neuropsychophysiology, and advanced diploma in stress management, a certified health coach. He also holds a diploma for the Functional Institute of Nutrition. And he studied at the Benson Henry Mind Institute affiliated with Harvard University. And he was granted a membership in the Harvard Medical School Graduate Association for Continuing Education. Uh, He's also a founding fellow of the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital in Boston. He's a lifelong learner. He earned his PhD in health biology at AIU. And Dan has also been recognized as his most influential in education and research by International Association of Who's Who. And he's a fellow of the American Institute of Stress, Now, (laughs) I just wanted to say one thing. Here's a quote that I read from Dr. Dan Andre. Education is not just an intellectual exercise. It is most effective when the head meets the heart and knowledge can be applied to enhance the quality of one's life on all levels, emotional, physical, spiritual, and social. If anything doesn't encompass all the things we try to do at AIS, that certainly does. Ladies and gentlemen, help me in joining our guest today, Dr. Dan Andrea. Dan, thanks for joining us, man. Well, thank you, William. It's a great pleasure to be here and look forward to a great conversation. I couldn't even get to half of all the things you have done. You're a busy fellow. But I wanted to touch on the most important things. You know, I wanted—I did want to ask you though. How did you begin this journey? You, you know, you're, you're you're focusing in health and psychology, nutrition, Alzheimer's. How did you start out though in your journey? Well, well, William,
0: that's a really good question too. And I can assure you one thing: it wasn't a straight line. <laughs> that's not life. <laughs> and so, uh, when I went to school originally years ago. Uh, I was interested in psychology, and and who isn't? We want to know how we tick, why our parents being like they are, our friends, what's happening. So certainly, uh, understanding understanding human nature was really important to me on many levels too. Because I think psychology uh, is most effective when it's looked at in context of of uh, culture, for example, and uh, you know, and social conditions, and uh, it's all part of a, of a greater whole. So that really fascinated me. Uh, as well, always very interested in nature versus nurture. And uh, hmm. I focused on that when I when I can. Uh, it used to be thought, as we know, William, it was nature or nurture. Now we know it's in between. Uh, certainly, people can still debate it. But we now know that there is a whole other dimension, that of epigenetics, that uh, sits above our genetic code. But uh, you can switch genes on and off okay Uh, it doesn't change the sequence of the dna of our genetic uh, sequence but um it can turn things on and off and that's affected by so many aspects of life from who we hang around with where we live who our family uh, is where uh what our interests are it's a whole emerging field right now so a lot of those things uh you know uh connected with me and i'll tell you having gotten a background in psychology and then in, in social work has been an invaluable training ground, no matter what I've done, the knowledge I've learned. And, and I'm always learning. I mean, every day. <laughs> it's a never-ending quest.
1: You know, it's funny because uh, that you say that because um, my first real introduction into the field of psychology was yeah, behavioral psychology when I was a young man going to the police academy in New York City. Wow. We studied uh, part of... Um, the training for police officers is studying behavioral psychology. And I got very interested in it. And later on, when I became an educator, I was very interested and wrote a thesis on bibliotherapy. So you're right. It's not a straight line. And by your, your, your work now, uh, lately, one of the many things that you focus on is your relationship between stress and brain health. That's right. Resiliency. Um, which I, I, I'm i getting old. I'm sure you've all noticed. And uh, it becomes more of an issue as we get old. And I start searching for words that I don't, my vocabulary is in there somewhere. So that brain health and that resiliency becomes more of an issue uh, for myself and my friends and a lot of other people's. But I wanted you in a general way so a guy like me can understand it. Sure. If you could tell us how stress affects, I've seen it, but how does it affect our brain health and our health in general?
0: Absolutely. I mean, stress is a sometimes a difficult term to really define uh, on one level. We know that for sure. On one level, it's, uh, you know, when you have to adapt to a situation in life that might be perceived as threatening. Uh, another uh, definition would be it's the wear and tear of life mm-hmm. in life over the years. So I can certainly relate, William, to what you're saying. And the third would really be the, the question of um, really, how would I say this? Um, when you feel you can't cope with the situation, when you feel overwhelmed, if I don't play tennis, but I've got to go out and play tennis for the first time, I'm going to be much more stressed than somebody who is competent have what's has what's called self-efficacy right. in that area. So regardless of any definition or which way you come at it, What is um, consistent are the biological reactions that our body has um, in terms of the famous HPA axis that sends messages from the brain down into the adrenal gland, letting off cortisol, for example. Um, And certainly we're all stressed. We know that. If I'm in a classroom teaching, and by the way, psychology has helped me in that area, but if I say to the students, anybody here not stressed, and I'll get a few hands go up, I'm never stressed, but of course, that's that's not true. It's just they're not aware of it, okay, or they're blocking it or whatever. So uh, the fact is that um, it's a part of life. It's a reality. It it depends on how we learn to cope with it. But in terms of the body and brain, um, it can have deleterious effects. Absolutely. When we are stressed, for example, um, there are biochemical changes that take place in the brain. I want to separate out, uh, William, acute stress from chronic stress mm-hmm. because We are well uh, structured as human beings to react quickly to acute stress and uh, it mobilizes us. And even in terms of writing an exam or performing whatever, it can heighten our focus and our awareness. It can motivate us, uh, even boost up our immune system in the short term. Uh, But the goal is to go back to that famous baseline so we can rest and digest afterwards when we don't have a chance to do that. Uh, then the stress builds up over time, almost like a dripping faucet, and we don't release it. And when you get to a certain point or past the threshold, it uh, can have serious effects in the brain, for example. Uh, you find that a very important part of the brain, it's called the hippocampus, uh, shaped like two little seahorses mm-hmm. in your midbrain, responsible for memory and learning, they shrink. The hippocampus shrinks um, as well, the prefrontal cortex. And that's the part that's the reasoning part of our brains that that, uh, take part in decision-making and problem solving. That also shrinks as well. So we have less power in that part of, of the brain. And so it can affect the structure and the function of the brain. I think with the brain, William, it's important as well to recognize, helpful to me, it's easy to see it as something above the neck and so uh, therefore i want to focus on that the head but in fact the brain is central control for every single function in our body from the immune system endocrine system the reproductive system uh you name it and um and digestive system and i'm fascinated too these days by the gut brain axis and uh the the gut is our second brain and in the womb they actually grow up (laughs) side by side and so uh People are often surprised to realize that about 90% of our serotonin is actually in our gut, not in our heads. And our immune system, about 80% is in the mucosa lining of our intestines. And so uh, I know I have gut instincts, for example, or, or if I'm anxious and I might get a stomach ache, and I know there's a direct connection there and there are more connections between the gut and the brain than the brain and the gut It's a two-way highway. Mm-hmm. And so we, we find that, um, and again, Things are tied in. What's another example I can give you? If I had to say in terms of lifestyle, one of the most important things is sleep. And we were finding out more and more and more about that. Uh, not getting enough sleep uh, can cause uh, irritability, anxiety, depression, um, less focus, uh, a whole host of things. But one thing in terms of the brain that's very important is when we sleep, it's the time that our brain detoxifies. It sends a... Uh, the junk, if I can use that that general term, out from the brain into the lymphatic system and out. We know that if we don't sleep enough or get enough of the deep quality sleep, that's more important. Then this does not get released. And then it builds up in the brain, the toxicity does. So uh again, you see how systems are are related. Um if there are immune system problems like a, a mobile that you see in a baby's uh, you know bedroom, one Thing hits the next, hits the next. So these are all so intricately interrelated that uh uh separating them out really is is not going to solve the issue. They need to be looked at in context.
1: That's a, a great way to put it. it's like a mobile. Yeah. It's like a wind chime, one hits the other. I'm I'm stressed so I don't sleep, and then I don't sleep and it makes me stressed out. I mean it it's a big topic here all the time. Oh, exactly. without sleeping you, your brain doesn't function now my brain's not functioning so i'm stressing out because i'm not <laughs> being productive it just goes on and on
0: it that's does. what happens
1: it, when you don't learn to manage your stress that is so totally
0: true and i think one more example would be um in terms of, of weight um and again we all have a different weight and there's debates and arguments about what's what's good what's not however if we do uh, Become overweight, it affects our hormones. Two of them, mm-hmm. ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin goes growl growl, I'm hungry, I want to eat, and leptin tells us, "Ooh, I'm full." It takes about twenty minutes uh, for the brain to, uh, you know, um, coordinate and understand what's happening in the stomach, but uh, leptin uh, doesn't work properly, and uh, it's very simplistically put. But it means you don't get that signal to turn off the eating, and so emotional eating can take place, and then that can lead to Other issues. So your point is so well taken. It's all intertwined into a complex labyrinth.
1: You know, it's really good analogies. And one of the reasons we do this program uh, at the American Institute of Stress is because we want to get information out there so people understand that how much stress is impacting their, their life. You don't really realize it. You look at our documentary, Mismatch. It's a perfect example of what you said. We're mismatched in our evolution. We are ready for chronic stress. That that bear is coming towards the tent, or say we do tiger coming to the village, we're good.
0: <laughs> we so
1: haven't funny. caught up with the day in and day out all day long looking at some social media things stressing us out.
0: Yeah, totally. I was watching the news last night. I won't get into that, but it's another story. And we get affected right. by so many different things, and and with stress, what might stress me may not stress you. On exactly. uh, one day it may stress me, it may not another day. So again, stress is not is not one constant, one lie. Okay. It varies. No, it,
1: and I get asked this all the time, and, and you know, like you said, it's hard to define. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to define. It's because we're, we're people. We're you know, I'm not going on a roller coaster. You may stand on line for a half hour. To me, it's stressful. To you, it's exciting. Your body sometimes doesn't know the difference, but you do.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. exactly, exactly. You know,
1: the thing I did want to really discuss with you because you are such an expert in it is about is about the effects on the brain. Yeah, uh, and brain focus is is a big topic. I, like I said, for guys my age, but I think for everyone. And yes. I, I've been. Seeing a couple of examples that I wanted to pick your brain about a little bit. Sure. Um, sure. One, and especially when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. Right. I've seen a case recently where somebody had lost their spouse of many years and, and went through the caretaking process for a couple of years with the person. Mm. And that person, um, the survivor, was... They were very much affected cognitively, um, showing signs of dementia, great memory loss, things like that. I know that you have been involved in the science and studies of Alzheimer's. Do you think? Because I, I know it's not always oh, an exact science. Yeah. Do you think that stress or that the chronic mismanagement of stress? Yes, has. Any impact on the likelihood of whether a person can develop dementia or Alzheimer's? It's
0: a really good question. William. I would say that stress would not cause directly, you know, Alzheimer's, but is definitely a co-factor uh, because of changes in the brain uh, that lead people to, uh, um, you know, in combination with genetics, for example, and lifestyle um, in terms of of Previous practices, etc., and, and emotional issues too, as well. I'm thinking of that person who lost uh, their loved one, um, undoubtedly. I, I not think I can't say for sure, but was depressed, and uh, and that depression can directly relate to the uh, effect of neurotransmitters in the brain, uh, and can change the structure and function of the brain. Um, I think uh, tied into that loneliness, you know, and feeling uh, and feeling lost in that sense. We are social beings, and we need to be connected to people. And if we've lost something, there's a grieving process, and it does have a direct effect on the biochemistry of the brain. There's absolutely no doubt about that. They say in a recent article last week I read, um, and it came from, uh, it was the CDC in the States, but they were saying that that being lonely, and in England, by the way, they've set up a ministry of loneliness. Hmm. It's the equivalent of 15 cigarettes a day. Uh, wow, terms- really? risk. We need need that kind of support. So, again, I go back to the idea that the body and the mind are so interlinked that way that you can't separate that that out. And I maybe carry it a little bit further. That's one of the issues I think that's problematic in our society today is that we still, although it's changing dramatically, we're still separating out the mind and the body Mm. and, and looking At a reductionist perspective Uh, if i only solve this part of what's happening here then other things will be solved Um, but you need to take a holistic approach to it but to answer your question yes it can definitely affect the brain Uh, and uh, does that person have a predisposition to alzheimer's genetically now genetics are are important we know that they provide uh, uh, you know our own blueprint for life Uh, but uh, it's more a question of genetic uh, predisposition rather than cause. Now there is one gene uh, called in in keeping it simple, apoE, okay uh, and uh, there are four versions of it. If you have the APOE4 gene, that from a parent, one one copy, that will increase your odds of getting Alzheimer's, but not on its own. It's only in connection with the other aspects of, of lifestyle. Uh, you know, sleep, blood pressure, uh, diet, uh, stress management, uh, spirituality too, if I can put that in. If you have both parents with APOE uh, 4, then your chances do go up considerably, but it isn't a guaranteed thing. If you look at Down syndrome or or sickle cell anemia or Huntington's chorea, if you have that gene, that's it. People can be tested for it. Um, it's a It's a decision one has to make, but Fifteen percent of the people uh, in the states, as we're talking, have an APOE4 gene. Okay, about fifteen to twenty percent, rather, have that gene. Two to five percent have two copies. So even then, um, people, when you read the paper, sometimes science, uh, you know, looking for headlines, not science itself, but people wanting to capture eyeballs, you know, for papers, can mm-hmm. exaggerate these things. It's a factor, but it may not be the the determinative factor.
1: Well, if is. if if 2% of the people have both and what was it 4% or 10% Two to, five. 2 to 5% uh what percentage of the population develops alzheimers
0: it, it varies, about about 10% or so uh so there are other factors too as well right. definitely and after age 65 it it doubles every 5 years because there are changes in the brain and we go from from pretty good you know in terms of functioning in the world um to mild cognitive impairment, which is not dementia. Uh, it can carry on to dementia, but isn't necessarily so. It's only in combination with a series of other factors in, in your life. But I think stress can can uh, can grease the process, you know, can, can yeah. actually be, a, uh, again, a co-factor in it, if not the factor, because um, again, if you are, are stressed, then we know, we've talked a little bit about it, um, every organ, every different system in the body is impacted and And certainly for the brain, in terms of diminished uh, well, gray matter and and white matter, too. When you get an imbalance between gray and white matter, uh that's dysregulation in sending messages in the brain, too, as well.,
1: yeah, it's funny. all the things we talk about as being a stress management, techniques what you, what what to, for you and i don't mean to pry and may no, not be but
0: you mentioned yourself with some changes that you've noticed and can mm-hmm. i ask you in general terms how you cope with it or what you see and i
1: i you know what it's, it's a great question and, and uh, sure i don't mind answering that at all i have lately decided um <laughs> and forgive me for saying this oh. but i stole it from clint eastwood i asked clint eastwood who i believe yeah. is what 92 Still making yeah. movies, yeah. How he stays so young and, and sharp. And he said, I get up every day and I don't let the old man in. And I said, You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna start doing it. <laughs> so, about two months ago, yeah, um, I was an athlete my whole life. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then I stopped and I found myself letting the old man in. Um, I have a birthday coming up next month. Oh, and I'll be sixty six, and okay. I, I figured, wow, it's a big number. And it was yeah. stressing me out. Yeah, and I said, "Well, yeah. let, let's let's not just you know, but you, you work for AIS. Let's do some research, pal." So, yeah. started to look into it. I started doing some lifestyle changes, and yeah. and the stress management changes that I did helped me cognitively as well. I went back to the gym. I'm yeah. a, I'm lifting weights. Weight-resistant training is the best thing you could do. I'm I'm telling you, I've been an athlete. I play tennis also. But the weight-resistant training, I noticed a difference within a couple of weeks. I changed my diet a little bit. Um, I brought down the amounts of sugar. Yeah, okay. Not a bad thing to do. I never had a horrible diet. I don't drink very much, and I, I, you know, my big vice, I guess you could say, is I smoke cigars once in a while. Uh, I am a biker. Going out more on my motorcycle and hitting some back roads and being in a zen-like, you know, meditative state helps. So all those things we talk about at AIS. Yes. I really started focusing a little bit more on them. And I find myself, when I'm writing or I am Doing something just purely cognitive, purely, you know, brain yeah. you know, function, that it's 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 improved just from doing those few things.
0: Wonderful. It's so reinforcing, too, as well. And, and you're taking, in my view, you're taking control. You have an objective, and you're following through. Right. It sounds like I can picture
1: you on the motorcycle zipping down a road. It sounds like you're having fun as well. Yeah, I, I actually founded a motorcycle club. And one of the reasons I found it is one of the things you talked about. I found that a lot of bikers were riding by themselves, which, first of all, is not that safe. Second yeah. of all, it's kind of lonely because you we tend to stay off of highways. We love back roads. Uh, I'm a big nature guy. And yeah. in, uh, I'm, I happen to live in Florida. And riding through the Everglades or Ocala Forest yeah. Yeah. on an empty road on a nice day. Nothing beats it. Nothing beats it. The, yeah. the The trick to it is to realize you're in that moment, to take in that moment a- and have it be do. a stress reduction time. It's, it's it's I mean, I understand some people are gonna say, oh, riding a motorcycle doesn't sound uh like stress reduction, it sounds stressful. And it's not for everybody. Hey, absolutely,
0: everybody's different. For you, it's yeah. a catharsis, it's a way to right. get in the zone. And and the the exercise you do, I mean, just on another sort of biological note, exercise is one of the best things to uh, to raise, you know, brain derived neurotrophic neurotrophic, um, you know, uh, right, BDNF, yeah, factor,
1: yeah, and it's and and all the things that you and I are discussing are basic stress management tools and techniques that everyone can do. That's yeah. why I do this that's why i do this show if you're listening to this show and you're thinking oh my life is so full of stress and just accepting it don't you don't have to i i I talked to a friend yesterday who's a little bit younger than me and he he, he's still working full-time banging out those hours putting in 50 hour weeks my wife is a 60 hour week teacher i don't have to tell you what it's like um (laughs) and i tell them you have to Take some time for you. So I have no time. Go work out. I have no time to work out. You're telling me you don't have 45 minutes three days a week? Yeah. Yeah. To improve your health? Come on. You do. You can make sure, get up, get up 45 minutes earlier. What can I tell you? Absolutely. It, It sounds like a sacrifice, but it's not.
0: It, it's not, it, it's all for, you know, increasing longevity, at least uh, making the later years much more enjoyable, you know, and, and, uh, with Alzheimer's, you mentioned that earlier on, it takes maybe 15 to 20 years, somewhere in there for the Alzheimer's to actually take hold. It doesn't just happen one day or over a month right. or two, it's been growing over time. So by, by doing what you're doing is uh, a good antidote. And, uh, you can, uh, you know, even retard, for example, or uh, I say reverse. It all depends, but you can slow the process down, if not uh, virtually stop it, by doing these things. And your friend, I don't know what would work for for him or her, but but certainly for some, walking in nature, talking to a friend, meditating, um, you know, reading. Uh, I do breathing exercises, reading. I just came back from New England, Cape Cod, and and that was a Great, uh, a great holiday along the beach, and uh, that was cathartic for me. Maybe yeah. not for somebody else. So there are so many different things you can do. Uh, one size doesn't fit all. And I, I'm proud
1: of you, William. That's really good. Thank and, you. I appreciate uh, it coming from you, Dan. I, I, I really do appreciate that. No, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, it's, it's. Everyone can do it. It's funny to talk about breathing. You know, before I really. Sat down and thought about it. Ah, oh, breathing exercises. Ah, oh, meditating. People have been doing it for five thousand years. Yeah, not, yeah, you know, there's a reason for it. Breathing. We have this discussion often on this show. Is you it's know, true. it's free and it's always with you, and it's really easy. You don't need any special equipment. Come on, just right. do it. Um, and and it, it, somebody told uh to teach me how to breathe right Said, watch a baby breathe from the stomach stomach uh, go up and down you see watch an adult who's stressed out breathing what goes up and down his shoulders go up and down and (laughs) there's the difference and i was oh my god that was that was illuminating you know it was like it was it was it it, it was life-changing i hate to use that term because it sounds so dramatic but it really is change your life if you're not feeling good, if you're really stressed out, yeah. Like we're talking, to Dan and Dre, he's telling yeah. you, you know, do these things. If you don't listen to me, at least listen to him, you know. Uh, you also wrote something else that was, you, you've talked about our reaction to stress and how it's impacted by social determinants.
0: Right. So I, that
1: I, plan, explain that to us.
0: Sure, I think it's an important, a very important part on a more macro level, you know, we're talking about individuals, it's more individualistic or micro, um, on a macro level, what it's all about is, the people that are less stressed, are those people living in areas that have the physical, the emotional and the social support and infrastructure. And so uh I'm thinking of different areas that they fall under. So those uh societies or those, those cities, for example, um have uh what would I say, economic stability, um, and also education, quality and access to it, uh, food, um, social, uh, social structure and community, uh, neighborhood and uh and built structures that way, and also healthcare access and uh and the quality of healthcare. And there's a fellow in Toronto, he's a world, world famous fellow, Gil Pellerosa, who's uh, an urbanologist and uh, he's worked with 350 cities. And I was had the privilege of talking to him a while back. And I said, you know, Gil, you've been all over the world. The cities that function the best, are they the ones where people are less stressed? And he was uh, quoting some empirical data of that. Absolutely, when human needs are looked after, there is less stress and that could be done differently in different parts of the world, culturally, for example. But uh, there, there's no doubt about it. It's a question of feeling safe, uh, having green space around to be able to take advantage of. It's having, I mentioned the food, um, it's having you know schools, access to services, people who will link you up to these services. And um, so what we do know for sure, even though we talk about stress being difficult to define, if you look at it on, on a health uh, promotion, and um, an outcome level, what we know is that uh, according to the World Health Organization, 30 to 55% of health can be put into the category of dealing with social determinants of health. Hmm. And there are so many of them, William.
1: You know, it, it's very true. I mean, um, some of it is happenstance, the right? yeah. where you grow up, what country you grow up in, what city you grow up in. But yes. no matter... <clears throat> Excuse me, no matter where you are, make the best of it. I grew up in a in what would be considered a inner urban city ghetto in the, in the 60s in Brooklyn. Wait, I mean Ask you what city? Where? Yeah, it was Bedstein, Brooklyn, New York.
0: Yeah, oh
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, East New York. And um, but you found, you know, I was I was I was a kid, but you found the green space. You found friendships you found the things to do the there was a boys' club I went to so there was exercise you if if you make the effort almost every city you live in yes some thought is given to that planning of that city for stress reduction Oh. Uh, I worked many years in Manhattan. Manhattan's a bustling place. If, if you're yeah. listening to this, if you've never been there, go there sometime at 4.35 o'clock and walk down a street. <laughs>
0: yeah. it, is,
1: it is the definitive example of rat race. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. even those cities, you can walk down a nondescript street, and there'll be a little, little park to sit in and have lunch. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be a, there'll be a place for you to to unwind.
0: To open and explore be open to that too as well. And right. when I was studying at the Mind Body Institute when I did that uh, down in Boston, um I was really struck by by one uh, professor who said, you know, there are two things that really account for people feeling uh comfortable in life and and does help. help. One of them is feeling in control of your life. We don't have you know, a control of everything that we know, and even accepting that's probably a good thing. But when I think of you and your exercise program and the way you're looking at all these different things, you are taking control of, of your life uh in that area. Absolutely. The second was uh social connection and uh and not being isolated that way. Now we're all we're all a combination of introvert and extrovert, one way or the other, but we all need people too. We're social social creatures. And so I think that's that's very important, uh, especially as one ages, too, as well. And stress can vary according to the transitions of life, too, right. as
1: well. I ask that question a lot. Does age have a lot to do with stress? And um, my conclusion has been that yes and no. Yeah. yeah. It it has something to do with the kinds of stress you're experiencing, but no stress ever goes away you and i had, right. uh, not having the same stresses as a teenager you yeah. know or as a 20 year old as a 30 year old but but it's still there yeah, i think learning the management of it is so important for people to do um yeah. I, I i don't do you do you think in this day and age where there is so much information available we have An enormous amount of information at stress.org. I mean, if you go on the American Institute of Stress's website, you can find something that you can connect with to help manage your stress. Do you think that people who just ignore their stress, I don't want to say it's laziness, but they just think it's inconsequential?
0: I think yeah, it's a good question. Very good question. Really. I think, um, you know, some people have to work more than one job, for example, they've got a family, they've got a mortgage to pay, there are certain reasons to keep on going. But again, you can find the time you need right. for yourself. That self care, that self love is so important. But I think a part of it too, on that more macro level, it's it's the the message society gives. Uh, For example, if you say I I slept nine hours last night, people are going to say you're lazy. What's not everybody, but you're lazy. What's wrong with you that way? Or or if you uh, you know you slack off in some way, then people will will condemn that. And and success is equal to what you produce, and uh, and and that that those messages that are pounded away. You win at all costs. And uh, I was talking to one or heard one teacher. Came to Toronto and talked about counseling families, you know, in uh, in Connecticut. They were going to a school. And he said, one family was so upset their son only got into Purdue for engineering. That's where Neil Armstrong went. <laughs> Didn't get into Harvard. So they were very upset about this. And when you got that kind of pressure, you know, and it is harder today, it really is, more competitive. Then uh it's hard to get off that treadmill. But you don't need to sort of get off it, but you need to make time for yourself to be able to deal more effectively with it.
1: That's well put. Really is. Well put. And I want to tell everybody who's listening, um, you're doing something right now. You're doing something about your stress right now, just listening to the show. Whatever your takeaway is, whatever you get from this show, the fact that you tuned in, the fact that you're actually actively doing something is a stress reliever in itself.
0: And if, if you if know all other
1: people that are stressed, hey, help, tell them to tune in. <laughs> well, yeah, I just want
0: to say, William, a couple of things. And I want to say I'm, I'm so proud to be a fellow of AIS. And I, I think the work you do is so needed. It's terrific. The quality is excellent. It's readable. It's applicable. Uh, it is so, so, so helpful. So uh, you. what you've done is I've got goosebumps talking to you about it right now.
1: Well, I thank you. And it's you. fellows like you that help make us the organization we are. That's that's the God's honest truth. It ain't me. It's I I just run sh- stuff. No, you know? no, think, no you
0: know no no it's it uh, ain't me.
1: It's you guys. It's you it's guys who actually put the work
0: in. And, and we're always open to new ideas. Yeah.
1: yeah. All right. Well you, you I before we go, because we're running out of time, I would love to have a, another conversation with you, a little bit more about Alzheimer's and dementia and its connection to stress. Sure. Lately, I've been feeling that there is more of a direct connection than we have thought in the past. But Definitely. You Definitely. Know, I'm a no scientist. Um, but before we go, I want to ask you, you, yeah. what do you do? What is your personal thing to do? right now tomorrow an hour from now and you're feeling stressed what's your go-to thing to do
0: well number one is breathing and there are so many different models you know i have one that i particularly like and and uh i'll do that it works for me uh that's number one um go out for a walk um try to count to ten before really there are times that you know that's hard to do i read i love reading and uh did that when i was in cape cod and and just uh Get into a book or whatever uh, often about psychology or politics or something that's that's a more dangerous topic maybe but but certainly uh they do that um talk to a friend you know is very important uh i some people and, and i understand this and i benefited too in therapy okay mm-hmm. uh and uh, there it all depends what you want you know but there are things that we can can do uh everybody can um certainly treating myself occasionally not being so Trying not to be so hard on myself. I think there are about 50, 60,000 thoughts a day, and 80% they say are negative. Right. You know, we put ourselves down, I should have done this. Why didn't I do this? And so trying to be more self-accepting. And because I find in moments when I'm not, the body tenses. And so I think scanning is also something I do too, as well. And I'm on automatic a lot of times. So I have to stop and say, what's going on? Ah, oh, there I sighed really. Okay, so. I tell you what,
1: all those things are good. Um, your first go-to with breathing, I think, is an excellent choice. I'll tell you the one thing you should never do is yeah. nothing. Yeah, you yeah. should you you got to do something about it. If it's the stress is changing your life, and and it does for so many people in a negative way. Don't forget, stress is also good. We talked about that feelings of helping somebody. Huh? It's
0: really good. going on a vacation, etc. But but uh, yeah, it is good, absolutely, and motivates us in the short term. But it's when we don't and it piles up, we pass thresholds, and then uh, it becomes problematic. Then the physical, emotional, and behavioral symptoms, uh, you know, begin to creep in. The alarm bells go off, and uh, and then we don't want to get ill, you know, per, per no. se. We know that we haven't talked about it today, but I mean, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, directly tied into stress uh, in many, 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 many cases. Um, you know, again, uh, one doctor I was speaking to was saying, well, if somebody is significantly overweight, the first thing I look at is their stress level mm-hmm. because cortisol can lead to, 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 uh, unwanted weight gain. There are many factors too. I don't mean to simplify it overly. So, but the uh, diabetes can also be affected. Uh, the blood sugar levels also can elevate under stress, uh, and unless one deals with it, it could, uh, it can, uh, carry on and such that the, is a disconnect between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. The amygdala, of course, is the part of our our brains is is, uh, corresponding to fear, uh, anxiety, and other feelings. And when that gets going, and it stresses, is constantly there, flooding, it's going off constantly, beep, 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 beep. And the connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex can be compromised. You know, if I, last thing I'll say then is that, uh, let's say there's a snake, I don't like snakes, the snake down here and the first thing I do immediately is 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 panic and so I know that uh, the adrenaline is pumping in immediately if I'm still scared a moment or two later a minute or two later the cortisol will pump in and uh, but then I look and I say ah it's only a plastic snake I can go back you know but if I'm over distressed and I'm hyper vigilant that way then the message between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex may break down and so I'm still, really upset and terrified even though somebody next to me says it's only a plastic snake but i'm already so c- conditioned uh over time that that's a problem too so you may need to learn to decondition to the stress techniques you've talked about
1: next conversation we're going to have is how to recondition ourselves not yeah. to be stressed right but next time i'm going to give you a snake to hold that you'll see oh, okay it's just a living Thing. it's really oh, nice then <laughs> I want to thank you so much for joining us today and and bringing awareness about all the issues we talk today it is so helpful for people listening to this show I really appreciate you being here well thank you for the wonderful questions too as well and uh we'll we'll talk again I hope we will and I want to thank everybody else for joining us today this has been your host Will Heckman I want to um remind you all, go to stress.org, check out all the information we have. We even have free courses for you. We just put up a free course for teenagers. Um, so make sure you go there, check us out, subscribe to the magazine, subscribe to this podcast, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. I always appreciate that. But I do want to remind everyone that just as Dan and I said, stress is different for each of us. There is no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone. So that means that you need to join us next time to find out as we explore more stress management and strategies and insights. And we hope that all that uh, Dan and I have said today will help you find contentment. So long, everyone.